Father, to stand before you this morning, we know that we have that confidence that we are here by your hand, that you've made it clear and you have shown us over and over again that we can trust you, that we can rely on you, and that you love us. It's not always easy, and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes what is best for us is not the easy route. Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us to focus on you and to know that your view is not of this world, but of eternity and how it will work out in the end. Lord, thanks for that. pray that you move in our hearts today as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been looking at Galatians, and today we move into chapter 2. Hopefully you took some time this past week and and really thought about what I talked about last week, that are we aligned with Jesus? Are we in the right starting point? Because if we are working on things in our heart, in our mind, and we're trying to do the right things, it matters that we're doing them for the right reasons. That we start out with our alignment facing Jesus, and we start to move in that way. And, and then our assignments and our techniques and the things that we get to work on are all for the right reasons. That we're all part of a bigger team. And today you're going to see the title is called Gospel Unity. And it talks a little bit about Peter and Paul, these two guys that uh, have been given different assignments. Their alignment is the same, but they end up with different assignments And there's different ways of going about it. And yet they have unity. And in the end, they find that unity and they understand that it's that unity that makes them more powerful. And it's a lesson to the church. As we think about what we really focus on, what our alignment is about, are we aligned with Jesus individually and and we've all been given different assignments and are we bringing glory to God as the body then? Because we're all aligned with Jesus. We've all been given something a little different to do, but yet we're all unified by the truth of the Gospel. And Paul and Peter have to hash this out a little bit. And There's some pieces of this that you're going to need to understand. And so so as we dive in, we're going to talk about some of the way that we look at the Bible. We look at it literally, historically, and grammatically. We look at... What does the Bible say when we translate it and, and we, it's written in Greek originally, the manuscripts that we find, and so we have to translate that into English. And what does it say literally and how does that apply to our lives? And we have to keep it then in historical context as well and help people understand what was going on at this moment in time. Because we don't talk about some of the things that that Paul and Peter are going to talk about here. But you need to understand that these discussions, we get to be a fly on the wall, so to speak, in some of the biggest moments of history. When you think of biblical Christianity, this is one of the watershed moments that is happening right here. And, and if, you, if you breeze right through it, you'll miss it because it's subtle. So Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Then after 14 years, Paul says, I went up again to Jerusalem, and this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and, meeting privately 
with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. No, the, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now there's a couple of things that we need to start out looking at, that it was 14 years since Paul had gone to Jerusalem. So he wasn't sitting actively under the teaching or or leading of Peter and some of the other disciples that were in Jerusalem. They They had their own assignment, and Paul had his own assignment, and they were doing things for the gospel in different places for different means, by different means. And so he goes and he visits and he wants to make sure that he's not running his race or had been running his race in vain. And you could say to yourself, well, was Paul really convinced that he had it right? Is that what he's asking? Contextually, when you break it all apart, what most of the scholars would say is that he wants to make sure that what he is preaching, the gospel that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, is what Peter and the disciples also agree to, and that they're not adding, you got to become Jewish. That he was not preaching this gospel to all the Gentiles only to have people come from Jerusalem, which had happened already. These Judaizers, he calls them, that had infiltrated their midst to say, it's not enough just to know Jesus. You've got to follow the law too. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to not eat this kind of meat. You've got to observe the Sabbath. You've got to do all the things Jesus plus. Paul was saying, it it doesn't do me any good to run this race if people are going to come and tell the people that I'm ministering to that it's not enough, that Jesus is not enough. And so Paul has to make that clear as he's talking to Peter. And they have that discussion, and you'll see it come up again in a couple of different other arenas. If you're reading through the New Testament, you see that Paul and Peter have to have this discussion again and again because they're aligned with the Gospel but they've been assigned differently. And they do different things. And it's very difficult for them as men to even understand that and and keep it in context all the time. And they're not subservient to one another. They both have been given an equal assignment by Jesus. And Paul is making sure that they all understand that. And it's interesting that he takes Titus along with him because Titus was 100% Gentile. He had no Jewish ancestry in him at all, but yet he was a believer. And so he takes Titus along and he starts to ask questions. And you're saying to yourself, that's good, Doug, but how in the world did we get to circumcision? Where does that come up? Well, if you know... The two different groups that are involved here, the Jews and the Gentiles, this was a physical manifestation that you were a Jew at the time. That you were the group of people that have been set apart by God, you would be circumcised. 
In chapter 17 of Genesis, when God is talking to Abram and He's setting forth the covenant with the Jewish people, He says, this is one of the ways that people will know you are Jewish. Because it was not a common practice. This was something that was looked on as barbaric at the time. Why in the world would you do that to an eight-year-old baby? That was the prescription of the law, that by eight days they would be circumcised to be a part of the Jewish culture. And it identified them physically with being a Jew. We know now that God's best interests lie underneath it as well, as many of the other laws. We know the hygienic benefits of it, right? There are other things that have come along that we understand now more and better. At the time, God was saying, I want you to do it because I want you to do it, but it's of benefit to you. You just don't know it yet. A lot of the laws were like that if you really read them and look at them. If you understand the Levitical law and you look at it and you think, yeah, boy, there's a lot of things in there that are of practical benefit to my physical life that God knew about me. And he asked the Jewish people to follow them because he knew it was good for them. So why circumcision? Well, my wife actually is just completing a book about Nazi Germany. And she had, she had read about uh, these Nazi propaganda machine. And one of the ways that they were identifying Jews was what? Circumcision. So literally, during World War II, men would try to disguise their circumcision. They would actually hide it from the Germans. They would actually actually add something to themselves to make it look physically as if they were not circumcised. To protect themselves from Nazi Germany. This was a mark that throughout history makes a difference. In this moment... Why they're talking about it is because Paul calls it, these people are trying to make us slaves, right? Seems like a harsh term. Paul didn't mince words. <laughs> he says, I have freedom and they want to make me a slave. Jesus brings about freedom in my life from sin and guilt and wants you to live in such a way not live necessarily by all the rules and by the behaviors that make you look good. As you read the New Testament, it becomes very, very clear that this is not about behavior, right? That it's about your heart. And it never really was. It was God's heart all along. Again, and all of these laws, all of these things were to protect and to, to set apart this remnant to be able to, to help people identify with this Jewish culture and understand that this is my chosen people. And then when He gets to the New Testament and He says, I'm going to circumcise your heart is another thing that He uses. He wants, he wants that, that thing to, to blossom inside of you to be the evidence of your belief in Jesus. That your very heart has been changed. And Paul knew the difference. Paul and Peter were going to have to have this discussion over and over and over whether to follow the laws and the systems, the sacrificial systems, the circumcisions, those things to become a believer in Jesus or not. And 
Why it's such a watershed moment for us is because if these discussions didn't happen or if the Judaizers won, then Jesus wouldn't have mattered, folks. That's the reality. If I could still follow the law, if I could convert myself to Judaism today, then why would I need Jesus? Because it's not Jesus and, it's Jesus. Peter knew that. He understood it. He had to walk very differently in the life that he was leading in Jerusalem and among the the synagogues and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. and, And many of the disciples would die at the hands of men who didn't understand the transition. Paul would be beaten, be thrown out of the city pick himself back up and go back into the synagogue. (laughs) Because he was saying, you don't understand, it's not Jesus and. When we align ourselves with Jesus, that's that's what it's all about. And in this moment, just so you understand, it wouldn't matter if you were all meeting here if you weren't Jewish then, right? If you hadn't converted. If the Judaizers had had their way, they would have convinced all of the known world that the only way to get to heaven was to be circumcised and to follow the law and to follow the traditions of Moses and Abraham and all of the forefathers. This one moment, these little sentences here in Galatians, you need to understand how much they changed your life. That Paul understood his assignment and Peter understood Paul's assignment as well. Peter understood, I'm going to be sent here and I'm going to have to deal with these Judaizers and I'm going to have to deal with the people and the culture of the Jews and I get that. And Paul, you definitely have been assigned to the Gentiles. That doesn't change the fact that they were both aligned with the Gospel. That they both preached Jesus. So you can be a Messianic Jew, as we call it. You can be someone who still follows the traditions and customs of the Jewish people and be saved by Jesus. You understand that. That's why we call them Messianic Jews, because they still believe in Jesus, but they just follow the traditions and the customs of their forefathers. You do the same thing. Believe me, I'm an outsider. I didn't know what Halupki was. You believe in Jesus, and yet you put cabbage in all kinds of stuff. That's how it works. So the Jews are not necessarily doomed. They understand Jesus as well as what their customs are. And it still matters that it's about Jesus. They're both aligned with Jesus. The difficulty is when we try to force one another to believe in ideology that's other than Jesus. (laughs) 
when we try to say Jesus and circumcision, Jesus and, that makes us slaves, is what Paul says. And he says to them, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. Now do you understand that sentence? He didn't give in to those in Jerusalem, those teachers and those other folks for a moment with Titus, the Greek, standing right beside him, uncircumcised. He didn't give in because he was preserving the Gospel. The truth of the Gospel. That it's Jesus. How this translates into modern day world is it's not Jesus plus donating to world vision. It's not Jesus and whatever. You need to be aligned with Jesus. Just like Paul and Peter were at the beginning of this entire thing. That's why I was so blunt last week that you need to start with your alignment first. Then as you are aligned, allow God to direct your assignment. Allow God to direct your heart to what it is that He thinks you have been suited for and capable of and and designed to be. Inside of this room, we have all walks of life for a reason. Because you're going to bump into people that I'm not going to, and I'm going to bump into people that you're not going to. And our job is to preserve the truth of the gospel in how we live our life, to allow others to see that we are aligned with Jesus wholeheartedly in what what we do. Peter and Paul are having this discussion that they brought together this group of men to say, listen, where are we at? And they came up with the Gospel being the center. Gospel-centric living, Gospel-centric living starts with understanding you are saved eternally. That's where it starts. Don't let anyone tell you differently. If you're living by the Gospel, then it starts with understanding eternal security, eternal salvation. What it looks like then on an everyday basis is you're living gospelly centric if you understand I am eternally secure, but I need to be growing in my sanctification daily. <laughs> I'm saved for all of eternity, but there are things I've got to work on. That's just the way it is. I need to be sanctified daily, but that doesn't change again the foundation that we talked about a couple weeks ago that was laid in Jesus. Jesus being the foundation doesn't change. Saved eternally, sanctified daily. That's really what it is we get to do. 
Every day, continue to work and become more and more like Jesus. And more and more, that alignment that we set at the very beginning of our day on the foundation, putting our feet firmly on who Jesus is and entering into our day confidently, knowing that we get to act like Him. And there's a reason behind what we do. Paul says, I did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. That's the goal, right? That at the end of the day, I can say, I didn't give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel could be preserved. doesn't mean that I won all the arguments, but that in my heart, in my mind, I was aligned with Jesus and I did it the best way I possibly could to help them understand what Jesus might have done. Verses 6 through 10, I'll finish up the passage that we covered this week. As for those who were held in high esteem, he's talking about Peter and some of the other disciples. Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. So why is it titled Gospel Unity is right there. This could have been destructive to the church as well. This could have split Jews and Gentiles right down the middle. Paul could have gone off and preached to the Gentiles and said, you know what, Peter, he doesn't know what he's doing. Peter could have gone and told the entire the fellowship inside of Jerusalem, you need to be saved and become Jewish. And it could have split everything. What scares me is that we split churches over carpet colors now sometimes. That doesn't scare me. It actually, I shouldn't say what I think. Because there's no unity in that. There's no alignment in that. Paul and Peter were able to engage the the, the toughest of subjects together and say, what really is the gospel? What is the root of what we believe and we're going to teach? And they came away saying, we're both aligned with the gospel. Go do it where you're called to do it, and I'll go do it where I'm called to do it. And you should leave here this morning with the same instruction to be aligned with the gospel, to understand exactly what Jesus did 
in your life to be able to articulate it to someone else, both verbally and by the way you live, and go do it where you've been assigned. Go do it where the the Lord has placed you with the people among whom you have the opportunity. If you remember the prayer of Jesus, right before He died, He prays for believers to have unity. That's the thing that is resounding in His prayer for all of the people to come. All of the disciples, He prays for their unity, but then He prays for all the believers that will believe on Jesus based on the testimony of the disciples that they would all have unity. And right here is a beautiful example of it. That Peter and Paul, two men that were powerful in each of their own rights, didn't call together their friend group and say, you know what, we gotta set, we gotta set Paul straight. We gotta get more people to say it on social media than Paul does. They agreed that at the core of who they were was Jesus. That was the most important thing. And they aligned with Him and said, I'm going to go to whom I am called and I'm going to go to who I am called and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. So as you understand over the last couple of weeks what the Gospel really is, that in its purest form it is understanding who Jesus is, that He died for you personally, that He rose again and is now waiting for you in eternity you can share that with somebody else. That's part of what we do as the body of Christ. If we have unity and understanding and encouragement from being together here this morning, then that's what we get to do. This isn't supposed to make you feel guilty. This is supposed to be encouraging that that the God of the universe chose to use men to share what He was doing. And He continues to perpetuate that through us, the church. That we get to be involved actively in what He's doing in the lives of people around us. Whether it be by just spending time here chatting with some folks over pizza. Whether it be down at the broken dinner. All these things are opportunities to serve our community, but why do we want to serve them? Because we want to see them saved eternally. That's the goal first. That they can understand and align with Jesus and then work on being sanctified daily. We can't go into these situations and expect them to look and act like us. Maybe we wouldn't want them to. Because we're really good at acting the right way and sometimes we don't actually do what God wants us to do. (laughs) 
Paul and Peter had an opportunity here in a, in a, in a very tense and, and incredible moment that, that you don't miss it. When you read it again, understand where this could have gone. Understand all the times in your life right, that you've seen it happen whether it be on a team or at work or in your family, when there's a power struggle, it very rarely ends in unity of mission, right? But this one did because God was engaged in the process. And it was really about Jesus, not about Paul, not about Peter. And so today, it's really about Jesus. Not about Doug, not about Don, not about Kurt, not about Gene, not about Les. It's about Jesus. And our unity will be the most attractive thing to the world that we live in then. Because they don't understand it, right? How can you give up what you really want for the purpose of someone else? I don't even understand laying aside myself for someone else's sake. The world doesn't understand that. They don't know it. They're lost because they've not understood who Jesus is. They've not seen Jesus lay aside every earthly thing, every heavenly thing on our behalf. They don't understand that. And we get to tell them. (laughs) Father, I pray that as we understand the unity of the body today more clearly. And I pray that we have seen it, that as we read Galatians together, that we would understand what it took for these men to lay aside positions and authorities and things like that for the sake of the Gospel, that the truth of the Gospel, that You, Jesus, would be preserved. I pray that we would lay aside our ambitions, our self-interests, our desires, that we would put all that aside, that we would unify ourselves around the Gospel. (laughs) That we would do it in a way that, that the world hasn't seen yet. That we would align ourselves with You in passion, in strength, discipline, and love. Father, thank you for this opportunity as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.